Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob as well. Fighting for ground gained. Fighting for ground gained. The context of this, I, I preached last Sunday. I hear a sound. We're going to look at the life of Elijah over the next several weeks uh, because I feel that that is, that is where we're at, is, is looking at the life of Elijah and the things happening in Elijah's life. And so we're going to jump back a little bit in the story to where we're first introduced to Elijah. Last week I preached how Elijah heard a sound and we hear the sound of revival and and all of those things are, are well and good and I believe that's where we're headed. But we have to understand a principle this morning that that when we begin to gain ground, here's the truth, the fight is on. Okay, the fight is on. And so in our story, we, we find Elijah and he's introduced to us in 1 Kings 17. He shows up out of nowhere. I said that last week. We don't have his genealogy. We don't have his pedigree. We don't know that he's a fifth generation Pentecostal. We don't have any of that. We just know that Elijah is a settler from Tishba and he shows up on the scene. And the word of the Lord came to him and he went and he sat under the brook at the brook Cherith and uh, he was fed by the ravens. And, and that's all well and good and, and praise the Lord that he was fed by ravens. And, and there's all of that story that happens. And then the word of the Lord comes to him and says, get up and go uh, to Zarephath where I'm going to introduce you to a widow there and, and she's going to make a cake for you. And so he goes and there's this great miracle and the cake is made and, and we love preaching that story about desperation bringing visitation and, and we love that aspect. But then there comes the second part of the story which is where we are in verse 17. Now what happened after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became sick and his condition became very grave until at the end he was no longer breathing. So the son dies. So she said to Elijah, why is my business any of yours, you man of God? Yet you've come to me to bring my wrongdoing to remembrance and to put my son to death. But he said to her, give me your son. Then he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upstairs room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. And he called to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, have you also brought catastrophe upon the widow with whom I'm staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times and called to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, please let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the boy returned to him and he revived. Elijah then took the boy and brought him down from the upstairs room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now that I know you're a man of God and that word of the Lord, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Elijah had already proven his incredible faith and authority. He had already shown and ensured the widow and her son plenty during the time of drought. The miracle had already happened. But here's the thing is that when we have miracles, we will face challenges. When we cross the threshold into another level, we will face challenges. And her challenge was that the son that had been provided for now died. There was death in the house when there had just been a miracle. But out of this comes some powerful principles that I I want you to grab hold of this morning because I believe it will encourage you when the battle is so real. The battle has been real. I mean, for three weeks, 
We have battled like I can't remember. Just a few of the little things that have happened. Driving down the six, a semi-truck decides he wants to be in my lane and I have nowhere to go. My truck ends up on two wheels, almost rolling down the embankment. I'm sitting in my office at the back. Some of you know the story. And the refrigerator starts shooting flames and smoke out from underneath it. When does that happen? Like, really? Then the microwave that was bolted to the wall flies off and hits me in the face. Then we start having all this other stuff. So then we have the conference and we all get COVID. Woo! Hallelujah. What we were looking, we looked for revival and we got COVID. And so then Wednesday night, I'm not kidding. Worst case of COVID I have had. And that's round number four, folks. I've had COVID four times. I'm ready for that demon to go back to hell from where it came. I'm sitting on my couch Wednesday night. I cannot breathe. My throat closes. By the way, later found out that was probably due to the chloroseptic spray that I was using. There's a whole thing that chloroseptic will make your throat close. Stop using it. Find another alternative. But I'm sitting there. Every time I cough, my throat would close. Couldn't breathe. I'm going, I'm going to die. I'm literally going to die. This is ridiculous. Middle of the night, two, three o'clock in the morning, somewhere around there. I'm at the point where I'm calling out for Anna to call the ambulance because I literally cannot breathe. And I'm, I can't. I'm like, (laughs) forgot that she'd put my phone right next to me and said, call her if I needed her. Couldn't breathe. But in the middle of the night, as I'm sitting there, can't breathe, and I'm going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Two angels show up in my living room. Now, I can't explain why they looked the way they looked, but they looked like two Red Cross nurses from the 1940s. I later had someone explain why that was, and I'll explain that in just a second. One came to my left side, put an IV in my arm. I had the mark the whole next day where the IV had put in my arm. The other comes to the other side and grabs my hand, and she says, for the sake of revival, you will live in Jesus' name. And I fall asleep, and I sleep the rest of the night. I wake up the next morning, and listen, God can do it supernaturally. Why I didn't get completely healed at that point, I don't know. But hey, ivermectin, praise the Lord, took the second dose, felt a whole lot better. (coughs) Then, our AC, okay, get this, yesterday, our AC disconnect box catches the house on fire. And we had to have that repaired. I'm telling you, warfare after warfare after warfare after warfare after warfare. Why? Because we're taking ground that the enemy stole. It never belonged to the enemy. He stole it and we're taking it back. That old camp meeting song, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back. Listen, I'm not just going to the enemy's camp to take back what he stole. I'm going to the enemy's camp to take the enemy's camp. You understand? We're taking ground. We're not just taking stuff. We're taking ground. We're pushing forward. We're not stopping. But what happens when the warfare happens? Because here's the first principle you need to understand. Challenges of faith will never end. 
I wish I could come and preach some happy, positive message that says, once you get some breakthrough, you'll never have another challenge again. As long as you are breathing, challenges will be real. It's just that God expects us to stretch out in faith and see our faith exercise grow. Listen, just when you think you've broken through to another level, Jill Austin said it all the time. New level, new devil, same God. Okay, you need to understand God doesn't change. But you get to a new level, you're going to face some new devils. It's just the truth. There's always more battles to be fought. New faith challenges to be faced. It's just the nature of the Christian walk. That's just following Jesus. It's why we can see, even in the current economic situation, whether it's man-created or whatever is creating all that's happening in our world, it's a challenge to face, but it is a challenge to the church. Are you going to succumb to the atmosphere of the world, or are you going to rise above it and stretch out your faith and be the man and woman of God that God has created you to be? Because here's what I know. What is learned today will be used tomorrow to be more effectively extending the kingdom of God. So I've had to go through the things that I've gone through so that I could begin to learn the principles so that when I face the new challenge, I go, oh, I learned that one back there. Oh, when I went through that, that prepared me for this. Because Romans 8, 28, what does it say? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Well, here's the conditions. You got to love him and you got to know you're called according to his purpose. But when you know that you're called according to his purpose, that purpose on the inside of you begins to drive you towards your destiny. And you begin to say, I live a purpose-driven life. I I live it because it's on the inside of me. The powerful pull of the future draws me forward. I've got hope on the inside. And the Bible declares I have a hope that doesn't put me to shame. I have a hope that drives me forward. And it doesn't matter what I face, what challenge comes my way, because I'm called, I'm anointed, I've been appointed by God, and there ain't no devil in hell who can stop me from going forth into my destiny. Revival's my point. I will see my family saved. Hallelujah. See, what faith kept alive will be attacked. You got to understand that. Faith kept the baby alive, but it will be attacked. And the objective, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we might have life and that more abundantly. And the battle of faith is not only to break through new territory, but also to keep it alive, to retain the ground that you gain. Don't step backward. I'm so tired of hearing people say, well, I'll take one step forward and two steps back. That's because you're not exercising faith. Listen, you may only take one step forward, but keep that one step. That might be the season you're in. You might just having to be hold steady. But listen, hold steady. Don't retreat. Don't go backwards. See, faith always has these two aspects to it. The challenge for breakthrough and the challenge to hold what we've broken through into. Wanda sent me a message, and I believe it's a prophetic sign. How many of you remember Friday night? I prophesied the baby has flipped. Anyone remember that? I prophesied it Friday night. I said that we'd gone through a season where I knew so many, 13 different prophetic families, their babies had to be born by cesarean because the baby was breech. 
And so many of us have been dealing with breach destinies. Well, she messages us and tells us that her grandbaby was breach. The baby flipped. The baby flipped. I believe it's a prophetic sign. And here's the thing. The baby, Juniper, right? Okay. Elijah, when he's on the run from, from Jezebel, he goes and he sits under the juniper tree. He goes and he sits under the juniper tree. I want to prophesy to some people this morning. The thing that was breached has flipped. I want to prophesy to you this morning. The thing that was backwards, the thing that felt like you weren't ever going to see it come to fruition, the thing that you felt like, I'm prophesying to the equipping church this morning, the baby has flipped. But how many of us have lost the ground that we once gained and enjoyed? We can all testify to that. An area that I'm personally pressing in for right now is miracles. I used to see miracles like nobody's business. 37 people raised from the dead, arms growing back, glass eyes turning into eyes of flesh. I haven't seen like that. Why? Because I got disappointed. How many of us have ever been disappointed? We prayed for something, it didn't happen. And you don't see the miracle, and so what do we do? Okay, well, I'll just pray for the headaches. Headaches are easy to see healed. Well, I'll just see some legs grow out. Listen, I, Wanda has a great testimony of a leg growing out. I mean, it's, it's a great miracle, and I celebrate it. But I'm ready for the more. It's time to see the more. And we've got to start regaining some of the ground we've lost and start holding on to the ground that we have gained. Because I'm telling you that we are fighting. We're in a fight. Revival's not going to come easy. See, everyone loves to talk about the Sundays that it broke loose, right? They all talk about Father's Day 1995. Well, you don't know the fight that John Kilpatrick went through for years in that church to get to revival. The fight that John and Carol Arnott went through in Toronto to get to the place of the, of the, the Abba's outpouring or whatever, Toronto outpouring, whatever it was called. Revival's a fight, church. It's a fight. And everyone's sound is different. And I want to reiterate something I said last Sunday. We're not trying to be Fresh Start Church. I'm not trying to be Pastor Kim Owens. I'm not trying to be Pastor Paul Owens. But I am picking up some principles. And I'm going to take those principles. We're going to apply them to our church. They had to fight for revival, but they've had it for seven years. They outlasted Father's Day outpouring. They outlasted Brownsville. They've outlasted these other places. Why? Because they took the principles and they said, not only are we going to take ground, we're keeping ground. We're not going to let the enemy in and steal our ground. But back to our story this year, or this, this year, this morning. Kebra sabaharaba. The battle that we often face is over religious spirits. I can guarantee you that the issue you will face the most as a born-again believer is a religious spirit. Why? Well, when we come to this story, behind this event is a terrible belief system that was inherited by a religious system because the woman makes this statement. Oh, man of God. You have come to me to bring my iniquity to my remembrance and to put my son to death. 
Her statement reveals a belief system that bad things that happen to me are because of some sin that I've committed in the past or even in the present. Our default response in warfare is what did I do wrong? Anyone relate to that? Or is it just me, just the pastor? If it's just the pastor, that's okay. Because I know the first thing when does it, what did I do wrong? Why, why do I deserve this? What? Oh, I must have offended someone. I must have offense in my heart. Now listen, and I'll, I'll talk about this in a minute, the difference between conviction and accusation. Because there's a difference. But so many of us, if we've been in church for any amount of time, our default belief system is, oh, I've done something wrong. This was actually the prevalent belief system of some of the teachings by religious leaders. I mean, Job had all of that calamity come upon him. And his friends come to him, his comforters, and like, what would you do wrong? You did something wrong. I mean, to the point they say this in Job 4, 17. Can mankind be righteous before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? He puts no trust even in his servants, and he accuses his angels of error. How much more those who live in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth? What is, what is the accus- accuser saying there? He's saying, you'll never have God's favor. God doesn't even trust it. He accuses his angels. You'll never have the goodness of God around your life. What a blatant accusation. Bottom line, you can't stand before God with confidence. But what does the Bible declare to us? I can come boldly before the throne of grace, seeking to obtain mercy in time of need. This confidence I have in Christ Jesus, that he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. But I want you to note something in that story. In verse 15 of of chapter 4 in Job, it says, Then a spirit passed by my face, the hair of my flesh stood up. He admits, oh, a demon came and told all this to me. He admits it right there. This comforter admits, I've been talking to demons. And now I've come to talk to you and tell you what they've said. It doesn't come of the Spirit of God. But see, because of this belief system that, oh, it must be something wrong that I've done, that I'm deserving all this warfare, Much of the New Testament book of Romans was written. Paul writes the book of Romans to address this idea. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of the sin and of death. It set you free from that law. That law that seeks to bind you and hold you back and convince you that you'll always do wrong. Listen, I don't say I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a new creation. My identity is not in my sin. Do I fall short? Yes. Do I get angry in the car? Yes. Do I make mistakes? Absolutely. But I have the blood of Jesus that washes me clean. There is a sacrifice that makes me worthy. Once and for all, Paul pulled down the stronghold that bad things are because you've sinned somewhere in your past or present. Now, if you have an open door, shut it. Sin is still sin. If you are having sex outside of marriage, deal with it. If you're cursing your spouse, deal with it. If you're not doing what you need to do as a believer, deal with it. I'm not preaching loosey-goosey, greasy grace. That says, just go on sinning. You don't have to worry about it. No, no, I will. I will not cheapen 
the grace of God. We cannot. But let me tell you, warfare does not mean you've done something wrong. Now, if you're having continual warfare because you are sinning, maybe stop sinning. Just maybe. But we cannot live from the mentality that because we have warfare, it's because we've done something wrong. More often than not, bad things happen because bad things happen. Like, we just have to recognize that. Some of it's not even warfare. Some of it's just that bad things happen because bad things happen. It's important to note, there are powerful religious evil spirits seeking to imprison you back into a legalistic Christianity and so to lose the sense of the freedom in God. It is for freedom that Christ sets us free. It is for freedom that Christ sets us free. But here's the deal. What I behold, I become. When I am focused on Jesus, I become like him. I don't have to focus on trying to overcome my sin. Anytime I try to do that, I struggle with it. But when I behold him, I don't want to do what I used to do. See, part of the issue in our modern Christianity is that we add Jesus to our life. He doesn't become our life. But when Jesus becomes my life, it is no longer I who live, as Paul says, but it is Christ who lives in me. When I recognize that I live my life in Christ, Christ has no sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that I could be free from my sin. So when it is he who lives in me, then I have power to overcome it so that I don't struggle with the same thing that I used to struggle with. So that when I face my warfare, I can go, oh, stupid devil, that's not me. But it takes faith and it takes focus. Elijah demonstrates a great principle in breaking through in the spirit realm. Verse 19. Can you pull that up, Melanie, for me? Verse 19. Oh, I have it here. Never mind. And he said unto her, give me thy son. And he took him up out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. It's easy to miss the point. It's real easy to miss the point. A principle that even Jesus exhibited. In Matthew 9, a synagogue official has his daughter die. Jesus went to the house, and as predicted, there was a great noise. There was a murmuring. Jesus assures them the girl's not dead. And what do they do? <laughs> we already checked her pulse. No pulse, she's dead. She's cold. Rigor mortis has set in. What does he do? He sends them out. He prays for her, and she comes alive. Peter did the same thing in his ministry in Acts 9 when Tabitha dies. There's huge commotion of mourning, and Peter sends them out. He prays, and what happens? She comes to life. Here is the principle. Key moments of faith demand control of the surrounding atmosphere. I'm going to say that again. Key moments of faith demand control of the surrounding atmosphere. I preached this last week. Elijah sent Ahab away. You go have dinner I'm going to go pray. Surrounding unbelief, mocking, bad attitudes can and will affect the atmosphere of faith to freely operate in. That's why we do church the way we do it. I refuse to have a bad atmosphere in the church. I refuse. Because I recognize 
that my atmosphere needs to be full of faith. And everything, I will do everything to create the atmosphere I've found most conducive to faith operation. Some people go, oh, well, why do you do this? Because I want faith in the atmosphere. Well, why do you, why do you pray before service? Because we want faith before the atmosphere. We want faith in it. We want to create an atmosphere. that We want doubt to go. We want warfare to go. We want all those things that would keep that mocking spirit out. Because if there's not an atmosphere of faith, then there will be few, if any, miracles. Jesus comes to Nazareth and he says, there was a place where few miracles could happen. Oh, that we would not be in Nazareth. We do many things to build an atmosphere of faith. Why do we shout? Because it breaks the spirit of lethargy. We shout because it causes us to shout from the inside. It causes us to shift something on the inside. Sometimes I might operate in the word of knowledge to begin to build faith in the atmosphere. Why? Because the word of knowledge exposes something I couldn't have known. And then all of a sudden, oh, that's about me. Faith. This is a, a really bad example. But how many of you remember the movie Elf? Anyone remember Elf? One of my favorite Christmas movies. I love that movie. I know, real spiritual, right? In the very last scene, there's the scene where they're trying to get Santa's sleigh to fly. And they're singing that stupid song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, I think it is. And Walter Hobbs is not singing. And he's Mr. Grinch over in the corner. What happens when he starts singing? It starts flying. What I've learned, and that's a bad example, not very spiritual, I know. Pastor Jacob. What I've learned is that if we can be, get people engaged in what the Spirit of God is doing, then we can get them out of their own mind, their own agenda, their own ideas, out of their own unbelief, out of their own doubt. If we can shift people into recognizing what God is doing, we take off. So that's why we do what we do. And then, you know, I, have, I understand there's territorial spirits. Bryan College Station has its own spirits unique to Bryan College Station. It does. I mean, it's real. The warfare is real. And they seek to control everything from commerce to church life to family life. And I recognize that. I mean, there's times where if I'm struggling to hear God on behalf of the equipping church, I will drive right past the city limit. And I'm not kidding. Something will shift. I'll just get outside of the city limits. And I'll oh, you're clearly sometimes five minutes, just right out. Sometimes I will drive into College Station because the spirits over College Station are different than the spirits over Brian. There's been times where I've driven the perimeter of the city because I recognize that we're dealing with spirits. But here's what I know is that I have my own atmosphere that I set. Now, when, when do I really notice it? When I leave the country. Man, it's like, oh, I'm free. I feel like I could fly. But then I would start getting familiar with the spirits in other countries. And so like when I'd fly into New Zealand, I'd go, oh, there's that lethargy again. 
And I had to write, why do I get so tired when I land? That's the ruling spirit. There's a slumber. Or when I went to Africa, that, that's a whole other story. That, that was a one and done. I will only go back if Jesus shows up and tells me face to face I need to go back. Some places you're just not gifted or called for. Raised the most people from the dead in Africa wasn't necessarily still my call. India, that was fun. Go back to Africa? I don't think so. God would really have to speak. I have no desire to do big crusades there ever again. And we had great miracles, but no. Mm -mm. But when I'm aware of the battles that we're against, and I've come to know what those particular Bryan College Station spirits are. I know what they are. Do I engage them all the time? No, I don't spend my life talking to demons. That's not how we do warfare. Are there times where we, where we need to? Yes. But Proverbs something, I can't remember what it is, says with wisdom, he ascends the high place to tear down the stronghold. So I don't spend my day fighting as though I'm beating the air. Oh, you demon, come down. Oh, you No, I get above the snake line. I get into the presence of God and I war from victory. And when God says, okay, deal with that spirit, then I deal with it. But I set my atmosphere. I carry my atmosphere. Because atmosphere has a huge amount to do with how faith will operate. What is the lesson here? What is it that you're battling to break through in? What is it that you are battling to break through in? you got to deal with the atmospheric influences. Maybe it's getting music on in your house. And I'm not just talking about random music. I'm talking about anointed worship music. I'm talking about anointing that breaks the yoke. Strong speaking in tongues. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Violent take it by force. Sometimes you just need to not. That's not my personality. I don't care. If your baby was getting crushed under a truck, you would. Ha! until you got the baby out, right? Well, why do we come into intercession sometimes? Help. Help me, Jesus. No, war. Get some war on the inside of you. Maybe it's getting out of the area. Maybe you need to drive outside of the city for a little bit. Go out into the country. And then maybe it's getting others to join you in prayer. <clears throat> but here's the fifth key. Full identification toward the problem. Now, I've heard some great messages on the significance of Elijah laying on the child three times. I'm not going to get into all that this morning. I, I just, I can't. That, that's a whole nother message. But this is what I notice when the great women and men of God pray for a need in the Bible. It's always different. But there's one thing that's obvious. Focus. Giving yourself to the need at hand. If you are going to believe for a miracle, then you've got to focus your thoughts, your energy, and your heart toward the need without distraction. Why? Because of focus. If you are seeking breakthrough in faith, focus has to be given to that thing and at times without distraction. That's why we're so focused in our prayer meetings. When we're praying for breakthrough in the church, and some well-meaning person comes and says, I really feel led to pray for Israel. No, that's not what we're doing right now. You go pray for Israel on your own time. We're praying for breakthrough here. That's why we're focused. You get the arrow and you line it up. 
I'm focused on one target. I'm not focused on a target over there. Listen, if God leads us to pray for Israel, we'll, we'll pray for Israel. But right now, we're declaring breakthrough at the equipping church. So we're going to focus and target everything we pray in that direction. Because we've got to be focused. Elijah didn't take the baby boy up the stairs and then start praying for grandma down the street. There was targeted focus. You've got to be focused. What was the result? The child came alive. And the mother gave testimony to the operation of the gift of God upon Elijah. As I start to close this morning, we give testimony to the reality of God by the way of faith we operate to see supernatural interventions of God in our lives. We prayed for the baby to flip. The baby flipped. We pray for the miracles to happen because they give testimony of God's supernatural intervention and it shifts atmospheres. Every time a miracle takes place, it shifts something in our region. We may not feel it right away, but here's the deal. When we experience breakthrough, you have to understand the fight's on. Don't retreat. We're going to talk about next week what happens when we retreat. Looking at the life of Elijah. Because we talked about last week, the great sound of heaven that he heard, right? Well, what's the first thing that happened? Another sound came. I'm going to kill you, Elijah. We're going to look at that next week. But this week, I want to encourage you. I don't care what the warfare is. We all have it. Warfare is real. It is. But I'm not going to spend time glorifying the warfare. I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about all the things that go wrong. Because God is doing so much more that is right. Do you get it? When I keep my eyes set on what he's doing, then I begin to disempower the enemy. Elijah got alone with the child. He lays the child out. Three times, whatever that means. And the child lives. There was tenacity for the miracle to be maintained. God didn't feed the child to kill the child. Stop blaming God for the warfare. Stop blaming God for the warfare. Stop blaming yourself for the warfare. Recognize you have a real enemy. But make the declaration, I'm taking my land and I'm keeping my land. Revival is our portion, church. It's what we're mantled for. It's what we're called for. I haven't gone through the hell that I've gone through to not see revival. Revival isn't extended meetings. It's not. Great worship. It's the manifested presence of Jesus. And that's what we're contending for. That's what we're contending for, church. Stand to your feet. There are so many battling. And sometimes we need people to battle on our behalf. Right? Sometimes we need people to battle on our behalf. Let's war with each other. Let's declare, I'm going to fight for my family.
I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to stand with my family and I'm going to fight. We're going to keep the ground we gained and we're going to take new territory. Amen. Revival's our portion. Father, this morning I pray right now that you would sweep through this place, God, with your spirit and you would touch each person and that they would experience such a supernatural strength and miracle this morning. I pray right now for a release of miracles in this house. I pray, Father, that the dead baby would live. I pray, Father, right now that the ground that seems to be stolen, Father, that they would maintain it and take new territory. Father, I declare breakthrough and miracles in Jesus' name. I declare the anointing breaks the yoke. And this morning, release the anointing, Father. Release the anointing, Father. Release the anointing that breaks the yoke. And I declare today, you're receiving a fresh impartation from the Spirit of God to maintain your ground. You will maintain your ground in the mighty name. In the mighty name of Jesus. Let it be so. Father, we thank you that revival the manifested presence of Jesus in the equipping church and through the equipping church is our portion. It's our mantle. We've declared this day we fight. Thank you, Father. I pray that every person that needs a miracle in their body right now would begin to receive it. I pray, Father, right now that your glory would touch your people. Healing would be their portion. Miracles would be their portion. I want us to take the next 40, 45 seconds to a minute. And I want us just to begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Just begin to war in the Holy Ghost this morning. Come on, let there be a war cry that comes out of you. We're going to shift the atmosphere because today we're declaring. We're not going backwards. We're maintaining and we're advancing. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. Come on, come on, just a few more seconds. Come on, we're shifting an atmosphere. Come on, you're maintaining your ground. You're maintaining your ground. Come on, it's time. It's time. It's time. We're maintaining. We're advancing. We're maintaining and we're advancing. Oh! Come on, if you don't pray in the Holy Ghost, pray in your natural language and declare we're going forward. Shedarabosoto. Rebeberiseke. Rabababashata. Rebeberiseke. Rebeberusabashedarabosa. Ten more seconds. Sura bashete rebese, ribarira baso. Now I want you to lift up a shout on the count of three. One, two, 
three. Yeah. 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 Come on, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Come on. Woo! Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now go in the power of God. Maintain your ground and advance your territory. Amen? Amen. Let's give the Lord one more hand clap as we close this morning. Father, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. May every good and perfect gift which comes from the Father of lights be placed in your hands that you may be made perfect, lacking nothing in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a great Sunday. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingchurch.us.